0: Today, on the Everything 80s podcast, how Captain Crunch cereal led to the creation of Apple computers. Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie, thanks for coming on out today. And it's amazing to think of how one random object can be responsible for changing the way our world works. And in this case, it all starts with a box of breakfast cereal. This is one of the most interesting things I've learned in the last little while. And it's the focus on what seems ridiculous, but how Captain Crunch cereal led the way for Apple computers, and the iPhone that you're probably listening to this on right now. So we'll get all into it. Before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Wherever you get your podcasts, I should be there. Okay, let's go. So for a kid growing up in the 70s and the 80s, breakfast was an event. This was a whole new age of cereals that were geared toward kids. Nutrition be damned, it was all about bright colors, sugar, and cartoon characters that would help sell it. Cereal commercials and cartoons seemed to be one and the same. And as the deregulation of advertising to children became established in the eighties, there was no telling what was commercial and what was cartoon. Not only would the back of a cereal box serve as your morning newspaper, the prospect of any free toy inside made it feel like Christmas. Every time you got a new box, one significant cereal and toy would play a part in the creation of the world's biggest tech company. And that toy is the captain crunch toy whistle. So let's look at how Cabin Crunch gets going, the story itself. So even though this, uh, you know, a lot of this does pl- take place in the 80s, a little bit in the early 70s, it's significant because it sets up the evolution of Apple through the 80s and onward to today. So Cabin Crunch is a serial that goes back much further to 1963 and you know, I'm sure you know it. It's a corn and oat-based cereal produced by Quaker Oats. The cereal actually has its roots in a, in a very old recipe involving brown sugar and butter over rice. The creator of Captain Crunch, Pamela Lowe, was a flavorist and recalled this meal being made by her grandmother when she was younger, and she thought this could work as a breakfast cereal. The combination of flavors created a what they called want moorishness, and it would be the basis for the flavor coating of the cereal. I like, I don't know if you ate Captain Crunch. It's physically impossible to eat just one bowl of this stuff. So they came up with the idea of a sea captain as their mascot, and they went with the name Captain Crunch. If you want the real insight into the captain, his full name is Horatio Magellan Crunch. He is captain of the Guppy and was born on Crunch Island in the Sea of Milk. So, see, even cereal mascots have an origin story. If you want a few little more truth bombs, Captain Crunch only has three stripes on his uniform which actually gives him the title of commander and not captain. So a lot of your childhood has been a lie but there you go. So this is what we're looking at now. It's the Captain Crunch whistle and there have been many great prizes found in cereal over the years and this one nondescript item was put into Captain Crunch in the mid-60s. This little red toy whistle kind of looks like you might have to look this thing up but it kind of looks like a little mini old-time gun with like a square piece or a rectangular piece underneath. It's hard to describe, but it's called the bosun whistle, S U N. if you want to look it up, just have a look at this whole thing. And it was meant to replicate the whistle used by sailing captains to signal mealtimes and also commands. Just picture Captain Von Trapp and the sound of music. So these were just cheap little red whistles. And if you've read the great book Ready Player One, you know what a significant part of the story that is. So the interesting thing with these whistles is the tone they gave off, which happens to be exactly 2600 Hertz. And that leads into the next part of this whole story. You might not have ever heard of a freaker. They weren't, this is spelled P-H-R-E-A-K-E-R-S, and it wasn't an 80s breakdance crew, but they were an underground group of hackers, specifically phone hackers. This is still back in the 60s and 70s, so computers as we know them weren't really a thing. If you wanted to be a hacker, you were either going to have to wait a decade or two to do what the underground freakers were doing, hacking things like phone lines, Back then, the phone system worked on a series of tones, all in different frequencies. The early hackers had found out what these tones were through the Bell system technical journal that could be found in any library. Bell would later scramble to have all of these removed. With the frequencies known, you could now play them through your phone to bypass AT&T's analog system and be able to make free long distance phone calls. Whether you were actually looking to save money or just wanted to circumvent a structured system, Phone hacking had become a popular underground thing and that leads us to John Draper. So no relation to the unfaithful marketing master, Don Draper, John Draper would be considered one of the godfathers of early hacking. The Freakers had existed for a while, but it was John Draper who discovered that the 2600 Hertz frequency of the bosun whistle was able to bypass the phone analog system perfectly to make long distance phone calls. Draper would nickname himself Captain Crunch. Even though he wasn't the first to discover the attributes of the boson whistle, he did take it to a larger scale. Draper created something he called the blue box, which was an electronic box that could replicate those tones used by the phone company. Again, this seemed more about mischief than money, but wind of this underground hacking movement grew in prominence that it became big enough to be featured in an Esquire article from 1971. It was written by Ron Rosenbaum and was entitled Secrets of the Little Blue Box, and it told the whole story of the Freakers, the tones used by the phone companies, and the creation of the Little Blue Box. A mother in Berkeley, California, happened to see this article and thought it would interest her electronics-obsessed son, so she left it on the kitchen table for him. Her son was Steve Wozniak. So I probably don't need to rehash much of what Apple computers was before it was because most people know this whole story. But Steve Wozniak, or Woz, was friends with a young Steve Jobs, and as soon as Woz was halfway through that article, he was on the phone with Jobs reading the whole thing to him. They were both psyched about this whole Freakers movement and were pretty enamored with John Draper. As soon as they could, they went and found that Bell Technical Journal and started buying parts to make an analog tone generator. They were able to replicate and program in the tones with a simple tape recorder. Their analog version didn't work perfectly, and Woz started working on a digital version of the blue box that hadn't been attempted before. Woz said he had never been prouder of something he designed, and even though they called a wrong number on their first attempt, it worked. Their first attraction to the blue box was more prank-based, and there's even the story of Woz prank-calling the Vatican, pretending to be Henry Kissinger in an attempt to talk to the Pope. He was sleeping, apparently. The Pope, not Henry Kissinger. So here's how everything gets taken to the next level, and it's where the real story of Apple has its origin moments, as an important milestone was about to be reached. Jobs came up with the idea that this hobby could be turned into something they could sell. Jobs got all the components together to make a blue box and figured out how they would be able to price it. As is mentioned in the book Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson, this was another moment foreshadowing what Apple would become. They were able to get all the parts together for around $40 and decided to sell it for $150. They then started shopping around by taking it to college dorms and and gave demonstrations of this new technology in action. They would make calls to London, Australia, and various other places all in front of their audience who took to them quickly. They sold out of all 100 blue boxes they made. There's even the story of... Um, Steve jobs being robbed at gunpoint for one of them and then having to end up helping the guy actually figure out how to use it if you that, read Steve jobs I think that's one of the best books I've ever written I, I, re- I read it every year um, and I think Walter Isaacson's an amazing writer so what they realized with the blue box was that they had an ideal partnership they both had the same passion for electronics and technology and with was as more of the behind the scenes man, Jobs was able to use his energy and personality to promote and grow. Was had the brilliance in creation and invention. Jobs had the foresight in how to make the idea user friendly and how to package, market, and sell it. Basically, was had the skill, Jobs had the vision. So, what happens next? On June 29, 1975, Wozniak came up with something that had never happened before. He created a motherboard that was connected to a monitor, and when he typed a letter on a keyboard, it showed up on the screen. This is essentially the start of Apple, as this was the basis for the Apple One computer, which was basically like a kit where the buyer could add and put together more pieces to make it customizable. The main thing Jobs and Wozniak realized through this is that they had a company on their hands. Their plan was to make about 50 circuit boards that would cost around $1,000, and then sell them for $40 a piece. In order to raise the money, Wozniak sold his $500 calculator and Jobs sold his Volkswagen bus for $1,500, giving them capital, a design for a product, and a plan. And since Jobs was on a fruitarian diet and had also recently been pruning apple trees, they went with the name Apple Computers. And if you've seen like the very early Apple logos, it was a picture of like Isaac Newton, I think it was always Isaac Newton, sitting under an apple tree. More of like a sort of hand sketch design, a little more of a, a little more creative, not as like a mechanical sort of bland logo. If you if you've never seen it before, look it up. It was also thought the name Apple would take the edge off the name computer, which was still seen as industrial, foreign, and mechanical. There was the thought that computers were going to take over the entire world, and we were facing a George Orwell 1984 big government situation. Another big feature with the name Apple is that it would get them ahead of another big tech-based company when listed in the phone book. That was Atari. So here's the next steps for the new Apple company. This would lead them to the Apple II and a big innovation. Telephone companies didn't have a monopoly on phone lines anymore, and other companies could create devices that could hook into them. Wozniak didn't know much about phone lines, but he knew someone who did, John Draper. had tracked down and finally met Draper earlier on, and Draper would work as an independent contractor for the newly formed Apple company. He ended up designing a telephone interface board that would... Would lead the way for computers being able to tone activate calling menus um they would anytime you you you'd phone in and press the tone they were able to create that it, they also um he helped lead the way for voicemail and other such such technology going into the 80s draper would also help to develop the first word processor for the apple II, along with a 3d graphic design system and this would lead to the apple 3 computer This would lead to the iconic Macintosh in 1984 where Apple started to move to the forefront of of the technology world and where a very notable commercial in the 1984 Super Bowl happened. Of course, that's the um, Ridley Scott famous um, Big Brother 1984 commercial, which I don't hopefully have to discuss if you haven't seen it before. So now we look more into the evolution of Apple. So again, this could take absolutely weeks and there's an entire podcast devoted just to this. And, and most people know the progression of Apple, but it's in the 80s where besides the Macintosh, they made some of their big strides with things like the mouse, color display monitors, the Macintosh Plus, the Macintosh 2, Apple modems. They've released a ton of products, but things would continue to evolve with the release of the PowerBook, the Newton, the iMac G3, and then in 2001, a device that would cause an earthquake in society, the iPod. From there, it would lead us to different versions of the Mac, the iPod Shuffle, the MacBook Pro, the iPod Shuffle, and then on July 11, 2008, the first iPhone. From there, you know the rest of the story as the iPhone has transformed the way that we exist interact and communicate for better or for worse the iphone has changed our lives and brought us to the point where we have trouble imagining life without them fun fact i'm recording this podcast on an iphone right now steve jobs followed an obsessive path uh, path of design functionality and marketing to transform our lives making himself a modern version of thomas edison and possibly even bigger depending on your viewpoint whether you don't use any apple products It's still been relevant in your life as it's influenced probably the phone you have right now um, or the tablet you have, whether you have an iPad or not, or the way that you've consumed music and listening to iTunes. Or if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts or whatever iteration Apple has impacted all our lives, whether it's full on and you've fully encompassed and embraced everything to do with Apple or if it's just casually. So I'll start just winding it down here. Again, you know, you might, um, depending on what you're listening to this to, you can trace all of it back. You can trace a lot of it uh, to do, like with the technology that we all know, uh, to the products that came before it. And then all the way back to that first blue box. The blue box put in motion, um put into motion what apple would become and the blue box can get traced back to a random encounter with a toy whistle that allowed people to undertake a bizarre new hobby if it wasn't for captain crunch and that bosun whistle we probably wouldn't have apple and the technology that we now have as it is today the blue box is what gave jobs and wozniak the confidence of what was possible between the two of them Wozniak claimed, quote, if it hadn't been for the blue boxes, there wouldn't have been an Apple. Jobs would back up the statement saying he was 100% sure there wouldn't have been an Apple computers without the blue box, as it allowed them to see what was possible to create something and put it into production. And we wouldn't have any of this life-changing technology if it wasn't for that little random toy whistle in a bowl of beloved breakfast cereal. So I'll wrap it up there. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Hopefully you found this very interesting. Again, to me, this is one of the more interesting things I've learned in the last little while. And a lot of the information is from that book, Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. So if you haven't read that book, even if you don't care about technology, if you don't like Steve Jobs, if any of that thing doesn't matter to you, this book is still like just the brilliant insights into um, like a movement and and things that change the culture and change the society and people sort of rebelling against the status quo and branching off and going their own way. And it's like they were Apple when they first started, they considered themselves pirates. They were a bunch of rebels and it just, it's like it's a brilliant story. And it's like nuts as Steve Jobs was. Um, he's one of the most significant people of our time by far. And just more of the insights into what made him tick. But that's it for me. Again, if you haven't already, subscribed wherever you find your podcasts. I should be back um, soon with a new one. And I know there's a ton of podcasts out there now, so the fact you're taking the time to listen to this one means a lot. But I will be back soon with a new episode, so don't you dare miss it.